Junior Burrow is arguably the best power forward in UVA history. Just 30 points shy of 2,000, third all-time in rebounding with over 900. He was considered the leader of that 94-95 team that is arguably and considered one of the best teams ever in the history of UVA. T-Dubs, what do you remember about Junior Burrow? I remember he was just so good down low in the, with post moves and footwork. And it was like out of the gate. So it was really cool to hear how he developed those skills. I just remember the hype around th- that crew coming in as our Fab Five. I know everyone was hyped about Michigan nationally, but in Virginia, those Corey, Yuri, Williford, that, that crew was just was so highly touted. And it, it, was, it was pretty incredible. Well, what about for you, Dougie? Yeah, when June – so June came in, my me going in my third year, and we played all summer together. And normally when you have a first year come in, there's some kind of a learning curve or, you know, you're a 6'8 dude like him, so you're, like, behind on some things. He was the first guy I saw come in, and we were all like, wow. And this includes Brian Stiff, right, who's about to go to the NBA. You know, June in the summertime was so athletic, so explosive, so good with the ball. Um, we did have to teach him how to pass after the after that summer, so we didn't see a lot of that. But and and just his just his good nature, ability to fit in with guys immediately, you know, and and just be part of the family. But just the talent of him and guys like Corey coming in, we we were all like, whoa, we haven't seen this out of the gate before. Junior Burrow now joins us. Junior, you are one of the most popular players to ever wear a UVA jersey. Jason Williford puts you on his Mount Rushmore. By the way, thanks so much for coming on the Jay Willie Show as a surprise guest. It was so good. But not only are you, are you liked by so many coaches and, and players, there are also a lot of fans who still who, who want to see you and, want, and, and really like you. Like We even got some emails or, and Twitter reports or, or tweets saying, when are you going to have Junior on the show? All the time. <laughs> All the time. I mean, once we started these, actually, on the forum, it was, when's Junior coming on? When's Junior coming on? And what people don't know is we tried. We had some technical difficulties. And you were not – I think you did it twice. We f- basically fucked it up. And then, and now you're back for number three, so we appreciate you. Even th- this morning, I think, somebody was like, at you, at Junior Burrow, when are you coming on the podcast? And you're like, yo, it's not, I'm never trying. But anyway, yeah. we appreciate you for sure. Yeah, I tell you, you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give my part, and this is not fluff because he's on, my favorite teammate of all time. Hands down. <laughs> but why, oh, that's, Dougie? That's, it's, hard, it's hard to live up to that, Dougie. Look at why well, you you'll, you'll see it because he's just in, he's infectious. He's just a great human being. He's why funny as shit. Why do you hate John Crotty? <laughs> 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 I love every. I love. I love all of them. I, I'm, I'm the dude that has ten thousand best friends. Like uh, best friends. But I will unequivocally say my favorite teammate was June. Dude, he came in. McDonald's All American. I've never been more impressed with anybody as a freshman coming in than June, and that includes Corey, who obviously drove my ass a lot. And Harold, but I mean, June was just another level. And but he was also down to earth. And we're also country boys, right? He's from Charlotte, yes. Fayetteville, Tennessee. We taught the same in June's words. He taught me. He taught me one of my favorite slang words. We speak Black Southern. Black Southern, baby. <laughs> I'm glad you remember. That's all it is. That's when when June is. June Southern. was playing June was playing in Italy, and I saw him back in Charles. I'm like, so June, you're in Italy. You know, I speak some Portuguese. Have you learned Italian? He's like, fresh. 
I speak one language, black Southern. <laughs> it's all I've, used it, I've used it ever since. But he's just Southern. I'm, Everybody's going to see now. <laughs> Anybody that meets the dude, loves the dude, you have no choice. And what, was your, what was your introduction to basketball? Uh, I mean, it started because my brother was, um, my oldest brother, uh, Brian, was a, I mean, he was a multi-sport athlete, but he's, he was a running back. But he just kind of played everything. So, you know, we were all just kind of, they're so much older. So when I got a chance to be around them, they were always playing basketball in Charlotte, football, or baseball at the time. Like there was always something going on. And when he, he was so much older, his career kind of ended, he started working. He was still on a pro-am team or some kind of office team, whether it be basketball, baseball, or, you know, at that time, softball. So just always around the sports. And I was such a little chubby, a chubby little kid. They wanted to get me going anyway. You know, when you come up in the house and both your parents are culinary chefs, the last thing you need is to have somebody in the house by himself <laughs> eating all the leftovers, which is exactly what was going on. Like, so I saw it all go down, basically. Well, it sounds like they needed to, it sounds like you needed a couple of chefs in there with that large extended family you have. Absolutely. So, you know, he's, my dad is the oldest of 15. And, and then all of them, at, as I got older, you started to see what everybody's profession became. So everybody, my mom and dad, were at one restaurant working. Uh, Slug's Choice was the name of it. So they just started hiring family members, basically, to come in and do something as the, as the chain started to move around a little bit. And they got, ended up getting bought out. But they started doing their own catering services and et cetera. So it just became a lot of our family members working under uh, of, a, of a couple of people that my dad had gone into business with. Uh, just to get create food from all over the place. And that ended up being, you know, what he ended up retiring from. Basically, man, maybe not just only 10 years ago. Like my dad still does little small things for people at 77 years old because he was so good at it. And, you know, they, everybody always wants him to put something together for him. So, yeah, just grew up with food all over the place, having a palate for everything. On, 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 that, on, that, on that note, June, what was your favorite meal that you made all of us eat at the University of Virginia. Which fried chicken? Like, like, I don't know. Nope. Wayside. Which where we whoa. No, you made us one night in the locker room, you forced us all to have chitlins. Oh oh my God. Oh I'm sorry. Whoa. It's it's, it's unbelievable oh. how that's that's at the top of the food chain. That's like the Michael Jordan of food <laughs> eats. Um, you know oh, what I mean? For, for a southern so my dad so oh. What's funny about my dad and I, so we have the same name. So it's not really Junior, it's Thomas Burrow Jr., right? So he would make pig-eared sandwiches for himself. And sometimes he would eat them, sometimes, right. So sometimes he would eat them, Mark, sometimes he would eat them, Tito. And he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't. He'd have them at home. So he'd put mayonnaise on them, a little hot sauce. Boom, he's ready to go. That became like the sandwich. Like when he came up to Charlottesville, he would always have two or three in a piece of aluminum foil. So I would always have me one of that extra, like that special sandwich waiting on your boy when he got, when he got over there as a freshman. That, that pig ear sandwich was always my thing. So he still does it, which lets me know that he's still my guy. Like he'll come up from Charlotte to, to the house here, and I'll be like, Pop, come on, man. Before you come up here, to be a peach cobbler he might bring. Uh, but he's definitely going to bring that. So there's no reason to even ask for those things. It's always what else can he bring you know, to, you know, to make his son feel better, I guess, as an older man now. So he'll bring a peach cobbler or something like that. I got to interrupt for a second. For people who have never <laughs> been around pig's feet, for people who have never been around chitlins, 
There is not a worse smell. <laughs> there is not. A, I mean, you could be in New York City in the summertime oh. and just have the stench of garbage surrounding you on all sides. And I'd rather right, be in that than have than <laughs> be in the kitchen with the smell of chitlins. My I grandmother used to make them. The grandmother is awesome. Them. And just call no, it awesome. not awesome. It's just gross. Call it awesome. Hot sauce. Hot sauce. <laughs> no, no, uh, there's nothing. Sauce. There's no condiment you can put on pig's feet that's going to make or chicken that's going to make it. it, it I, I, think it I think it was. I think it was my my last year. June, oh, June and Corey and Jay and all those guys second year. And June said, "Tonight's my night. We have to eat this." And Jeff Jones blessed it. I guess June had a great week or had a great game or something. <laughs> Boom. Graves Mountain, so, baby. Mr. So, Graves, Mr. Graves, man. It's to Mr. Graves. It's to, I mean, All listen, star. they, they just don't make pe- they don't make human beings very often. But when 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 he made Mr. Graves, and he of course he doesn't look the part. He looks like the big redneck and all of those things. You couldn't ask for a better person <laughs> to be around a huge, basketball huge program. Shout out. Huge One more shout out. Oh my God. One more question about food. In the tradition of Southern families having great meals. Was Sunday night dinner crazy for, at your house? Well, for us, because they worked as they worked in the college, you know, they worked in food. Like it was really like the nights they were off. So it was never like the Sunday night stuff. It would always be like they were off on Saturdays. They were preparing for stuff on Monday. So Sundays was like average. But you could catch a Friday or a Wednesday for us at our house. You mess around and get two or three meats. So you won't just get fried chicken. You might get liver. You might get um. Uh, you might get oxtails. You, you're not going to get the pig as much because that just takes too long. But it would always be something they would bring home from work, some type of roasted hen or something that you've never had before. And they would bring it home in mass quantities for myself and my brother. So I do have a big palate or in my head, but it's only like six or seven things that I'm willing to eat at this point in time in my old age. But at the time, I was just like Mikey, man. You could put anything in front of me. And I would at least <laughs> Mikey try likes <laughs> uh, Mikey likes it. Yo, so, like, so Mark, like, for so do a little rewind. Fast, I mean, a fast forward. When June came to UVA, we used to work together in the summertime. And we all lived in townhouses at uh, George Mason. And we had to fend for ourselves, right? We had the jobs for making money. We had, we had to eat. And there was no Uber Eats. There was no, we weren't going out to eat, whatever. And this, this motherfucker was putting on a show every night. And the only, I mean, June was just, it was like, everything was frying. The food's coming out. June and Corey eating good. And me and Havlicek are like, like pasta and like macaroni and cheese. But then I, I came in, I swear to you, June, June, true or false. I came in one time. And June is making Kool-Aid, and he poured the entire batch of sugar into the Kool-Aid. It might have been green. It so might have stayed. been the green Kool-Aid. Yes. We're like, June. Oh, my God. And, oh then, my and, God. Then go, and then we go work out, and he's just dunking on everybody all day. Didn't matter. So we stole the, um, you know, the big Gatorade pitches they pour on everybody's head. So we had already yep. stolen a couple of those. So that's all it really was. <laughs> and we, you get the 10-pound thing of sugar. You know, basically, you got Kool-Aid to go with your sugar. So you just stand over top of it and just pour the whole thing in there. <laughs> which is, which is, which is basically back. what Gator, that's all the right. Gatorade did. They did the same right. shit. So, oh, so they fresh, make walks money. In, fresh walks in and say, hey, 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 young fella, what are you doing right there? I'll say, Fresh, listen, when this gets cold, when this gets cold for you, baby, this is what we're talking about right here. He was like, dude, I'm not drinking that. 
no way. That's not even Kool-Aid anymore. I'm, I'm telling you, and when your spoon can stand up in the middle, now you got yourself a good concoction. So we were just, <laughs> you know, so, oh, man. Taking me back. Oh, wow. Well, June could cook. June, I, I didn't know that about your mom and dad. They, they cook Oh, like yeah, that. man. That's, yeah, my aunt. Yeah, everything started, like, you know, when they come, when they come by, like, it's funny because when they come up now, because um, we're so much older, obviously, they come up now, like, my aunt will drive up, and she'll always have something. They won't tell you what it is. But, you know, when my wife says, oh, you, what do you think your aunt's bringing? Or what do you think your dad's bringing? I'm like, look, so we've had a conversation already. So there's a roast coming for sure. We, there's some rice. There's some chitterlings coming for sure. Oh, gosh, no. And then there's a peach cobbler. <laughs> and there may be some type of barbecue chicken that my, um, that my aunt likes to make. And uh, she makes her own special sauce on it. So, you know, it's like a samaj, like a hot honey with her, with her barbecue. So, you yeah. know, we always, those are always coming. So don't make anything that's going to you know, take away from those things. You realize if you played now, you would not be eating any of that or you, it would be very limited, very limited portions of, of what you're talking about, right? Because I nutrition mean, has, become, has become so important in basketball and performance, yes. and yeah. performance and right. people don't eat like that anymore. No, Athletes. they don't. No, Athletes and uh, being around and, with, and, and when you say that, and obviously, you know, with the experience you have now with your own son in the league now, like it's funny because Monty Williams, and those guys, his coach and stuff, and being around those, all those guys at the time, like you were just basically eating because you were hungry. You weren't trying to help with your body, get your body into some certain place. Right. You know, I can, I can remember maybe, uh, because I know we all watching The Last Dance. Like I saw Dennis Rodman on the treadmill with, he was an hour and a half before the game. He had weights in his hands and he would put the weights down for a banana, right? So he, you know, he was just on the treadmill getting himself loose an hour and a half before the game. And he just walked with treadmill. He just walked the treadmill at a high pace. And then he would stop and eat bananas and stuff like that. So he's like, nobody was really into this food stuff. You just ate what you thought was healthy. You know, we ate a lot of salmon. You ate a lot of fish. But man, like Boston Market was around the corner from my house. And oh that was kind of my, my staple in, when I was in Boston. Like it was just right around the corner from the house. And if I didn't cook it, I basically got it from there. So that's, to me, was good eating, you know, baked chicken rotisserie chicken right. so yeah now you, you know i've been around lebron and all these other guys with their personal chefs and they have these little packages where they got to eat every they got clocks and all this other stuff man it's right. crazy right but you, we're talking about we're you're talking about junior junior specifically who pretty much ate like shit i think <laughs> early no yeah. but you went on a you went on a crazy health kick i think after i was gone I don't know if it was yeah. your third year, fourth year, after school, but you went on a crazy health kick. Everybody talked about it. Right. Well, it just stopped. You stopped doing certain things. I mean, I mean, come on. You, everybody knows, like, what are you doing? It's, so you don't have any – first of all, you don't have any money. So let's go back to that part. And, you know, everything closes at 1130, 11. So you only have a few places. The line, the drive through at McDonald's. So they had the two for two quarter pounders. So that's it, man. Like, you're going to get two of those for $2. And that's, right. your, that's your special. Or you're going to go down to Amico and you're going to get a hamburger. Like, you, it's, it's not a lot of options. So right. once I became, once I got to be a sophomore and I moved out into an apartment and I got a refrigerator full of stuff, then I started eating better. And then, of course, the results of what you're doing and you're working out, everything's better. Right. So. so at what point while you were growing up, what age was it when all of a sudden you started slimming down and becoming a lot more athletic? Uh, what the height came first. So on my fourth and fifth grade, um, I was on the front row. So the pictures. So in Miss Hughes's class and Miss Global's class, 
Miss <laughs> Global used to stop English on Friday afternoons because she was a cheerleader at NC State. So we got to watch NC State, <laughs> oh. Chris Washburn, right. So they had NC State play Virginia. It might've been my sixth grade year. So NC State played Virginia and Chris Washburn was a freshman. That's all I remember who was on the team. I can't remember who was on Virginia's team, but you know, Chris Washburn being from Hickory, North Carolina, we all, you know, everybody wanted to be, to see him. So she turned the game on. So that's kind of my first initial thing about the basketball part. But I was on the front row that fourth grade pitcher. And by the time I, so everything started happening around the fourth and fifth grade. And then by the time I got to the eighth grade, I was uh, roughly six, four, six, five. And I went through that real quick, awkward phase where I was walking down the hall and you would have thought somebody clipped me from the back and I just buckled, you know, the <laughs> knees, no pain though. Like it's no pain in my knees. Like my son has now no pain that some of these other guys have. I would just go limp. My left leg would just go out. My right leg would just go out. And it was so funny. Yeah. So that's a, that's that bow legged effect okay. that me and you have. Right. And so what was your high school experience like? Cause you went to ended up going to Oak Hill, which most people who listen to the podcast know is such a great basketball school, right? You, it's a powerhouse. Well, right. So back then for me, so everything kind of started from like that. So like I said, I started getting taller. So I had my first coach, my first middle school coach, uh, Mr. Dukes was my seventh grade. And you know, they had seventh and eighth and ninth grade. And I think it's the, the most important part of my entire, um, career started there because so he only kept two he only kept two seventh graders so you know most of the team is made up of eighth and ninth graders he kept the two young guys myself and another guy that was really tall Jerome Ely so he kept us but the first couple of games he just didn't play us one second like we're getting blown out we didn't have a very good team so I was also at my rec center down the street from my house I was still playing on that team that played on Saturdays and Sundays so and our sponsor was a superstar Billy Graham from the wrestling world, if y'all remember him. Superstar oh, Billy Graham was our, oh my God, he was the guy. So he had the, 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 the big pythons and he used to come down to our center and he basically sponsored the rec, the rec teams. So, <laughs> so I played on that team. That team I played on that first time, we had four guys that ended up in the pros. So we had three basketball players, myself, Jeff McGinnis and Antoine Jameson. And then we had one guy who ended up playing uh, in the NFL for a long time, Andrew Jordan. So we're all from the same couple of streets in West Charlotte, right around the corner from West Charlotte High School. And that's uh, I, love Mark, of- I love Mark's face there, right? Like, just matter right. of fact. Crazy. Yes. So, crazy. yes. So, boom, so, boom, it's, boom, it's, boom. so, obviously, Antoine is a little bit younger than me, but that's how it all kind of started for us. Byron Dinkins was down there. So, I don't know if y'all remember him, but he was, like, the guy who had actually went to a college. So, he went to UNC Charlotte. So, like, that's our first – guys leaving our area who came back and played pickup around us. So we used to watch those guys play as a seventh grader. Now, the guy who ran the center, and I don't mean to be long-winded, but the guy who ran the center name was Don Johnson, and I still talk to him to this day. I had a guy who was a teacher. He, he, had, he, he needed to get his teacher certificate, and his name is Gary Robinson. He was a, on a track scholarship and a tennis scholarship at John C. Smith University. And he saw us playing before the, the big guys play. All of the young kids were out there on the court. And he went over there and talked to Don. He was like, yeah, man, that kid is young and he's raw and he's not that good. But he walked over to me and he told me he wanted me to play on his little middle school team. And I was like, yeah, I'll play with you, you know, but I'm on this middle school team at high school. And he said, listen, it won't interfere with anything you're doing. And, of course, our workouts were crazy. So I would leave middle school practice at, at Wilson Middle School and I would go immediately to the rec center 
and we would have practice that night. And so I was doing double practices <clears throat> even at that time. And he said something that changed my life. And I think, and I know a lot of it happens now. He's like, listen, if you want to get better, if you want to be the best player you can be, you're probably going to have to leave that team because you're wasting two days. You're wasting two days a week sitting on the bench with him where you could be down here with me personally working out. So he kind of just took me and he made me go tell Mr. Dukes, Mr. Dukes, I don't think sitting on the bench, I don't think playing for you right now is the best thing for me. I need to go get myself together and start working out because it was starting to have, I was starting to have limited success playing on my own age group. And lo and behold, he told me, well, you'll never play at this school if you quit. And I was like, well, it's okay. You know, it, maybe it's not for me to be here. So I ended up turning in my uniform and my jersey and everything. And I went to play for this guy, Gary Robinson. And he became like, everything changed immediately. So now I'm so desperate because I just made the biggest move. My, nobody told me what to do. My dad never had any suggestions. No kid came to me and told me you should do it. It was just me and him having a conversation. And I went down there to practice and I told him I quit. I respectfully quit, right? And of course they went on to lose every game that year, which but I wouldn't help them anyway, right? And he ended up resigning from that team because he was a chemistry teacher at the school. He just wasn't a good basketball coach. And I had a great, I was having a great come up as a seventh grader to the point where the football coach said, listen, I'm gonna be the basketball coach the next year. I want you to come back. I know what he said, but I want you to come back. And now, instead of being not on a middle school team, we end up playing together. Now I'm about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, because it's still happening. And I went to averaging like 36 for him that following year. So it went from not playing a minute as a seventh grader to all of a sudden we go undefeated as eighth grade. And, and, and now I'm playing, I have to petition to play varsity basketball. Because back then, you know, if you, if you, you couldn't play ninth grade varsity, unless you were physically capable of actually playing ninth grade varsity. So you had, to, you had to get people to sign a petition to where you could actually play. And it had more to do with football, but they made all the basketball guys. So I had to try out for the ninth grade varsity team at the high school that they zoned me to. So, you know, that's, that's kind of how it all got started. But it all came from really the desperation of, like, I just made a decision, that, a life-changing decision for myself. Like, I just really went to this guy and was like, listen, I don't think I'm getting any better sitting on the bench. And I really wasn't. And it was a miserable feeling in your stomach. Like, you're sitting over there and you're already getting beat. And he's just looking down there at the two young guys. He's not giving them a chance. And I don't know if I would have been any good staying with him. But I know what happened because now everything started to be a work, work, work on this, work on that. And Gary, being a cross-country guy, man, we used to run three miles, two miles here. Like, everything just changed for me. Not to mention your height. Like, I don't, want to, I don't want to forget that part. Like, I went from, uh, like I, 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 gotta, I gotta take a 20 second timeout. June, you've never run three miles at, at listen, one time in your it was, life, June. Listen, <laughs> let, me, let, me tell you, let me tell you the worst part about it. So he made, he, it wasn't a three miles like on a track. He would have it, we'd leave the court and after we'd run, he'd change it up. So we'd run for some distance for him. Right. Like he was he's doing sneaking. his cross country workouts. He's sneaking, right, he wasn't right, just right. a straight three miles. So you missed two free throws, bet. Let's go do this path. You're going to the left. You're coming up this hill and you're coming back. And then we're going right. to do duck walks, which are now lunges. So now we're doing small stuff and he's changing it up. And that's what he used to do for his workouts because he never really ran the whole five miles every day for cross-country right. workouts. He always broke it down. So, and his tennis, so he just had so many, sneak me. So by the time I got to y'all, I was a frustrated track guy. 
by the time I got to y'all, when I got to college, <laughs> where everything was frustrating to be out there on the track. But when he kept it, it small and simple, you know, he just kept my mind on the focus. Like, I'm missing the free throws. Like, I'm running basically because I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And it was a great part. Of, that was a great time for me because it was all personal that, development. That's when that's that's where you think everything everything switched for you. Oh, for sure. Because I, I thought I thought I thought you were a prodigy. I thought you when you were five years old, you were like dunking. <laughs> no, no. The way I, started, the way I know you. Yeah, it all started from him, right? It all started from him. I'm dunking early. I'm in the seventh and eighth grade dunking the basketball, but it all came from the lunges and all came from all the stuff we were doing with him. Yeah. So. I'm dunking on an outdoor court that was probably a little bit taller than 10 feet because you know how outdoor courts are, you know, you don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. So by the time, yep. by the time I got to the eighth grade, like, and doing some of the stuff that we were doing that nobody else was doing, like nobody else had a trainer. And I don't want to call him a trainer cause he was doing the stuff with me and he was still in college. Right. Like he was still in college doing this kind of stuff for us. And then now all of a sudden people started to hear about it. So now we have three or four people in the workouts. So it just made it even more for us to kind of keep working and more and more stuff. We, we climbing hills. I don't know. It, it, was, it was a crazy time because I didn't really have any other life. Like, like I said, when my mom passed away, I was kind of introvert anyway. So like this kind of pulled me out of my shell. So now everything started to be happening. It was perfect timing yeah. for me. AAU started up a little bit and now we start moving in that direction and you're just the best big man available in the area. And that's how it all started. You're just that kid that's coming into the gym and everybody thinks he's old, but he's really shouldn't even be in your gym because he's so young, right? So that's kind of how it started. So when you're known, obviously, for your post moves, for, you know, your, your time, when did that, when did those skills start to develop? Was this the time where you started really this working on that? Okay. No, this is the, it all starts from him. And then when you get to college and it's trial and error, right? So you shoot and turn around jumpers and I'll keep it simple. You shoot and turn around jumpers. He used to always say, Wait, this is what you want to do every time down the court. So what if they stop it, right? So you need a counter move to a turnaround jumper where at the time it's an up and under. Right. And, then, and then it becomes a, a fake left to go right. It's a fake right to go left. And then you start working on your jump shot, not to shoot jumpers. You're working on your jump shot to pull a bigger guy who's not as quick as you right. away from the basket so you can get around it. So everything had a purpose. And he did, I didn't work on them like, like people work on stuff now. So I didn't just go out on the court and say, okay, I'm gonna shoot this jumper 10 times. It was always about your feet. So you're looking down where you are with your feet, what you can get away with, which your post moves, right. uh, which one is your pivot foot, what works better from this angle. You know, just, just the small details of how you can be a better person playing in a phone booth type area. Cause you know, you don't have a lot right. of space. So right. that's what he used to always talk about. You have to be able to make a move and get around somebody in a phone booth. So, and I never understood it until your fake right has to be so good going right that they think you're going over there that he shifts his body to your right and then you're able to go left. And you're able to go left with contact. And he's, it was always something in that area. So was, uh, we talked about everything. And then we started moving in that direction. So that's how it all got going. Uh, that really explains a lot of your game too. Just just hearing that, uh, it just immediately connects the dots in terms of like your skill set, what you brought to the table in, in terms of being elite. That's, that's pretty cool. And, and then how much, how much of it was because of your height, did you, were, were there opportunities to work on ball handling, things like that? Or was that not? Well, the, the funny thing about it. So our, our idols were James Worthy. You know, you start watching those guys play Chris Washburn, all those guys from our mm -hmm. area. Mm -hmm. Like they, you, you notice, like they didn't do a lot of dribbling. Right. 
You know, right. I saw a thing where James Worthy said, if, he, if, you, if you need more than three dribbles, then you should pass the basketball. So you kind of live by that. Like, I'm not taking more dribbles than I need, right? So I would handle the basketball only to give up my dribble to get the ball to somebody else to get where I'm comfortable because, you know, my coach is always talking, you're, you're the end of the sentence. So you're supposed to be the period, the question mark, or you're the exclamation point. Like, so it's always little small details of things you keep in your head. You right. know, so, okay, so I'm the end of the sentence, man. That means when the guard goes to the middle, you give it to him, you run the court, you catch it, you finish. Right. He, guts, he cuts through the lane, you're able to shoot the ball, you shoot it from there. Like, you're never in a position um, of anything else because we always had – I've always had a pro point guard. Like, people don't understand when I say that. Like, I had a pro point guard my first team I ever played on. I had a pro high school point guard because I played with Doc Rivers' uh, son. Then I played with Jeff McGinnis. And then I go to Oak Hill and I had Corey. So I've never not played with somebody who had not just the potential to be a pro. He actually played right. in the NBA. That's so awesome. it just, so that's, that's very amazing. lucky. That's also lucky. Right. 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 So, you know, a lot of big men don't get that. So June, when, when you talk about the period question mark exclamation point, did they ever talk about the word passing? No, 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 <laughs> no. No, let's be clear on that. Let's be clear on that. You're, you're a, you're a very famous, not very good at passing, June. Let's be honest. Listen, I, listen it's not being honest. It's being truthful. Let's be, that's different. There's a different <laughs> phrase there. Freshman. It's different from being honest and truthful. I'm just doing, my dad says it all the time. If you, if you, if there's a lot of traffic, if you stay in your lane, there's not a lot of traffic. There are a lot of people right. on our team trying to pass the ball, right? Doing a bunch of other stuff. So I, if I stayed in my lane, and did what I knew I could do and be the best at that, man. Listen. That's right. You know, so when I listen, when I look at my stats for my freshman year and I see that I had seven assists total as a freshman, you know, I look and I'm trying to figure out who I passed the ball to those seven times. Like I'm not looking at it like that's a bad number. Like how <laughs> I, don't, I, like, I just why, want why to correct you for right. a second. But I want to why correct you for a second. You had actually had eight, right? It was eight. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. And then your senior year, I think you had like fifty-five. Yes. So it wasn't – so you – don't give yourself a bad rap. Because <laughs> no, if you had two assists, if you're averaging two assists a game, that means you were probably passing out of the post four or five times, right? Because everybody's well, had to shots. They had to double – double. It became it – became, it became the conversations that, like I said, like you start having real conversation with your coaching staff. Like that's the part about all of this that a lot of kids don't get when you start talking about the overall part of basketball. Like what are you trying to do to get better? And so when you go to Coach Jones or Coach Wolf or Coach Ellaby at the time and your teammates, and, you know, you'll be like, man, like, what do I need to do for us to win more? Like, it was all about winning, first of all. So, right. like, what do I need right. to do to win more? And, and Dennis Wolf, I love him to this day. Obviously, we still talk. If you set better screens, if you're a better screen setter, we'll be a better team. So you take that to heart. Right. You, okay. So you want to be good. It's not about just your individual numbers. You got to get somebody else open. You got to make sure you pass the ball when those guys are open because usually the guy who can pass, you know, is the guy that they don't want. They're, they're scared to double. They're scared to, to do all these things because he'll make them pay for it. So that's what really started to happen as I got as my maturation from being a caveman as a freshman to being a full on great teammate to everybody around you and not just you know, being the caveman that you want to be. I'm going to score the ball, unga, unga. I'm going to grab all the rebounds. I'm going to play defense. I'm going to do my part. And then after the game, but now you're trying to set better screens. You're passing the ball out of those double teams. You're not trying to force anything. And you look, lo and behold, the team is a lot better because you're a lot better. 
So right. at what point, if anybody, no one has any questions, what point did you decide to go to Oak Hill in your, during your high school career? I mean, after, as my junior year started to roll around, it, the Oak Hill part kind of came because my AAU coach at the time, we had, they had sent two other players up there uh, years before who had some, some troubles, basically. And they were able to leave Oak Hill and go to, one went to Rhode Island, I think the other kid went to Corey Baker, signed to go to Wake Forest. So it just seemed like a, a natural place for us to start going from Charlotte. So, because it's so close. I mean, people don't realize it's only two, it's only two hours from Charlotte to Oak Hill. So uh, my coach, Clarence Johnson, my AAU coach, had sent a couple of kids up there. And what started to happen is that the, the um, just like in middle school, the fishbowl started to get a little small for me. Like now, because, you, you know, back then there weren't any regulations on who could come see you. Like we would be bombarded with paper, letter work, letters, coaches. Everything was starting to really, really happen uh, really fast. And my dad was so out of the loop. So I might be home by myself and, and you, it's no telling who would call or, or it was no telling what coach would call at the time. Uh, Bobby Knight, et cetera. Like it was just so many people pulling up to your house and it was just overwhelming for myself. And he said, my, my, my AU coach said, man, you might need a change of scenery. It's going to be better for you basketball wise. And you said you want to be the best player around. Well, this might be the best move. So I went up there on a workout. Like it wasn't a guaranteed thing. I went up there on a workout and I got to play against a team that was, uh, was there that were undefeated. And once I left the workout for that weekend, I stayed up there for the whole weekend, man, I was like, coach, I think this is the place for me. Like, it wasn't a decision. I, I, I had to tell my dad, here's my second time doing it. Hey, Pop, I, I quit the middle school team. I'm going to do this. Hey, Pop, I think Oak Hill is the best place for me because they're doing what I want to do. Like, it's all day, every day basketball. Mm-hmm. And you can't ask for a better situation for me because I know, I know it transitioned into helping me as a freshman because I was already ready to go. So that's a heck of a team with you and Corey on the Saints at Oak Hill together. Yes. You know, and, and, and it takes some of the pressure off of you because, you know, the recruiting process back then was like, you know, you, you at the top of the food chain, I guess, as a top seven, 10 player in the country, like all the little small details and stuff. Like we didn't talk about that stuff. Like there was nobody talking about what you rank. It was just about who you get an opportunity to play against. You know, this kid is good. You just want to play against him. And you want to see where you compete with those guys. So that's kind of how I looked at it. But once we got to Oak Hill, everything was magnified. You know, you got 6,000 people you play in front of in your regular high school, maybe, if it's a big game. But now you're in these big arenas at Oak Hill, man. You're playing in front of 12, 13,000, 15,000 people. It was crazy. Like, man, that was – did, did, did C go the same year as you? Or was he already, yes. already there? No, he was at Flint Hill, and he transferred the same time. So we were there together. That, that that sounds like a Corey move. Oh yeah, he, he yeah he was all over the place. You know? Right, he's playing the whole he's playing the whole system. I get it. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> well, so what was your relationship with Corey like in high school at Oak Hill? Uh, we were roommates there too. So, I mean, it's always been brotherly. I mean, I don't know. We we used to argue on the court, off the court, everything, and it and it was never like he he had to do what he was supposed to do. Like, your job as a point guard is to make sure everybody's in place and do what they're supposed to do. And Corey's not the nicest guy when it comes to that, <laughs> right? So that's as clean as you can get it. Like, that's not the nice guy. But I didn't, I didn't also receive the information as nice. Man, catch the ball. No, pass the ball better. You know, so we always had those kind of things going. 
all the time, but it was always because we were trying to get better. And it was never personal. Like, I never left the game mad at him over something he did or didn't do. You know, we just didn't. I didn't, I didn't have that little bone in my head of like that. We just always were competing and trying to be better because we knew when we played well, we won most of the time. What did what, you guys talk about then, though? Was it were you, you like you and C? Were you like you, you and Corey? Were you like, yo, let's do this NBA or let's do this so we can go to college and be good? What, you know what I'm saying? It's all about like, college. Yeah, I, I got it's all about college, man, because we, we had at that time I was going to Syracuse, no questions in mind. I wanted to be Derek Coleman, right? So he wanted to be Kenny, no. Kenny Anderson, right? No. So everybody wanted to be it was Larry Johnson or Derek Coleman for me, right? So James Worthy is my overall best, my favorite player of all time, just being from the area. Now you get to see Derek Coleman, you get to see Larry Johnson, like you get to see all these kids. And now we're sitting in our rooms talking about, man, and these same schools are recruiting you. Right. And so to be you get to see all these famous, right. So all these famous coaches, like I know the coaching world is, is famous now. Like you look on TV and you, but back then, man, to see Lou Olson walk in, to see Lefty right. Giselle walk in, John Thompson, Bobby Knight, Dean Smith to walk into your gym and they're coming to see you. Like it's like a totally different yep. mindset. And then Bobby Crimmins, I don't want to ever forget him either. Like those guys were at the top, man. They were they were awesome and they were really nice to us all. And of course you sit in your room like where are you going? You know, like where you want to go to school. And you, you didn't you this never was something we dreamed about. You just it's starting to happen slowly. Maybe Corey, you'd have to ask him, but for me. I kept my goals so small. I wanted to be the best player on my team first. And that turned into being the best player in the, in the county, in the city of Charlotte. And then and now it turned into being the best player in Mecklenburg County, the number one player in the state. And at that time, I was ready the number one player on the East Coast. And so it started to happen. But I'm still right. keeping my goals simple. Like, I'm, I'm at Oak Hill now. I'm one of the best power forwards in the country. Man, the best way to do that is to be the best team. So... Like, that's all it ever was. It never was this overall goal plan. Now I want to go to school and I want to have a, a just as good as career as Derek Coleman or Larry Johnson. And that's all I thought about. You know, I never overlooked anything. I always kept it really small. Right. I got to tell you, as a, as a basketball player in New York City, my dream was that way, too, to be recruited by the biggest college coaches. And it didn't happen. I got recruited by small D1s. But it would have been, like, incredible to have one of those coaches – that was my dream, walk into a gym like that and say, hey, we're recruiting you, right? So I, 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 I'm just, I feel so good for you and Dougie yes, like, to be able to play at such a high level and have those like, guys walk into your gym and sit down with your parents and sit down with you and say, we're offering you a scholarship. It is the most incredible thing that can happen for a, a young basketball player. Right. So my first, that's the, the, and I almost forgot Jim Valvano also was like the first guy to give me tickets. Like my first real game, was from Jim Valvano, who was, I was in the ninth grade, and they started to see the potential coming in that direction and through our AAU tournaments, and he left tickets, and they played Georgia Tech. And I went to the game uh, with my AAU coach, Gary Robson, my first coach. He drove us up in his Honda Accord, and we went to the game, him and my sister and I. And I got to see Charles Shackford and those guys play against uh, Georgia Tech. And that was my first game I ever, I ever wow. got to see live. And I knew right then I couldn't play at this level. I was like, wow, they're so much bigger than me. Like, right. I'll, I'll never get here. And then two weeks later, they played Maryland. But I got to go to two games. And after those games, they had, you know, NC State had Chucky Brown. I mean, they were pretty good, you know, right? But they weren't real good. They weren't real good, but they kept winning. They were winning, 
you know. And of course, that was at the end of Jim Valvano's career. It wasn't at the beginning, but man, it was like he was so personable and everything. And then the irony behind it all, when I got into the ACC Legends Hall of Fame to go in with his wife was standing behind me. And, you know, of course, I went to eat dinner at their house the first game I went to, which is, by the way, illegal. So we well, – I, I, I was about to say, between NC State and Georgia Tech, you left a shitload of money on the table. <laughs> oh, my God. Coming to Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, Jimbo, if you do Jimbo the numbers – I didn't do the numbers. I was just, you know, you're Rest such a, like peace. you said, you're such a Legend. basketball guy. Like, come on, man. We ate dinner over their house. They gave us a bunch of stuff, a bunch of gear. Right. And we got back on the road uh, to drive back down to uh, Charlotte. Like, we didn't even spend the night or anything like that. I didn't go to practice. They had Kelsey Weems. Like, just a bunch of people. Kelsey Weems. Wow, great call. A part of their basketball team. So, you know, mm-hmm. who, would I, who would I think that Spud Webb would be on the team and nobody thought about him at all? And he ended up playing probably longer than everybody else I named. So you mentioned Syracuse, and of course UVA recruited you. Who else were, you, were your top choices? Well, at the, once I got to Oak Hill, like everything kind of changed about the recruiting process because Coach Smith had such a, a idea of what was really going on with the recruiting stuff. So we sat down and had that conversation. Like it's not just about who you want to, where you want to go, where do you fit in the best. Like are you going to get an opportunity to play? And I was like, Coach, listen, I live on twenty one thirty eight Syracuse Drive. That's my Charlotte address. All right. I'm going to Syracuse, coach. Like, I know everybody else is talking about all these other schools I may go to in Carolina and all this other stuff, coach. But I live on Syracuse Drive. It's ordained. Like, we had that conversation. <laughs> and he was like, well, you know, Derek Coleman's probably leaving. You, 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 it'd be a great way to go. You know, you have a chance to play right away, blah, blah, blah. But then he said, like, listen, they don't, they don't love you, right? They, they like you a lot. They don't know. They've never heard. They've never heard a kid coming from so far out of the ACC to go up there. And I never thought about any of that stuff. Like, my Coach Smith was, man, he was just so so far beyond. Like, co- kids don't leave North Carolina to go to New York to play basketball. Like, you stay in your area, and you're in the number one conference in the country. You need to be careful about what you're doing. Like, he just had all these, this good information for me. So, the week before I was supposed to go on my Syracuse visit, my center gets in trouble on his visit. Wilf Cacaldi. He gets charged with a – with a sexual assault on a girl he met on his visit two weeks before my Syracuse oh, visit. No. I say. Right. So Coach Smith is mad and livid because they didn't take care of the kid. The kid gets in trouble on his visit, blah, blah, blah. So he tells me, you shouldn't go on your visit. That's not the right place for you anyway. Look what they're doing to their kids. So I said, well, fine. This school, I'll take my visit to Virginia because they got the same colors. And, <laughs> you know, I'm going to Kentucky anyway. So... I'm just going to go to Kentucky at the end because they're the last visit, and uh, we'll just switch it around. So I'll go to Virginia last, and I'll go to Kentucky, and we're going to go to Syracuse, and we'll just move on from this. And that's exactly how it happened, except for the fact that, if y'all remember, Kentucky was on probation, and they ended up getting another year of probation. So instead of my freshman year being the only year they were on probation, they ended up getting two years of probation, and it came out in the summertime. It came out that summer as opposed to – waiting so i was like okay well i'm not going to school to sit on probation and wear converts like who's doing that (laughs) (laughs) so and i had such a right so i had such a great time on my visit at virginia like it was a totally different family environment of anything else i had seen happening like for your black and your white players to always be around each other like it wasn't phony you could see you could see it like like it wasn't phony like brian stiff was as nice a guy and anthony oliver and and doug and 
Chris Havlicek and Ted Jefferson and Charles, like all those guys were ex- exactly what they were when I got there and on my visit. Like that's so rare. Because most times people don't want you on their visit because they're worried about your playing time. They're worried about you coming in and taking a spot. If they were, they put on the biggest and best act I've ever been around. And when I got back from my business, I said, Coach, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to Virginia. And he couldn't believe it. Did you experience any people telling you not to come here when you went to visit you can, uh, Kentucky or Carolina or any schools like that? No, none of that stuff. None, that, only happens, that only happens with us, right? Nobody told me not to go there. Like, Jamal Mashburn wanted me to play with him. Like, I guess they told him that I was going to be the great next player that could help him win games. Like, every visit was great for me. Like, I had a great time at, at Wake Forest. Rodney Rogers was my old AAU teammate. Like, I mean, we just had, we just had a great Trelawney Owens. Like, those, all my visits were good. It just wasn't any playing time right. at some of those places. So I really just – I'm looking at the place where where can you go and be successful and play against these guys and get an opportunity to play. And that's kind of what myself and Coach Smith, because my dad really wasn't – he just wanted me to be happy. So he left those kind of decisions up to myself and my AAU coach. And that's where Virginia went from being like in the middle of the pack to being at the top because we're going to be successful and you're going to get an opportunity to be part of that success from the very beginning. So, right, right. you know, okay, I bet so on myself kind of. I was going to say – well, Go ahead, Chief Dubs. I was going to say – at what point were you when Virginia – so Virginia plays Syracuse in the NCAA tournament. What, yes. Where, so as what were you thinking watching that game at that point? Were you committed or did you make a choice already? Did you know? No, I, would all, I think I want to say I was already committed. Before Stiff gets his shot blocked at the very end, which and everybody foul. thought was – Right, and foul. And, foul. and we thought it was a goal 10, right? I think I had already been committed because I signed early because I kind of wanted okay. it over. Gotcha. So I want to know I signed earlier. So that NCAA tournament just just happened to be the, the thing. But what's really weird about all of that, like I never watched Virginia play that much right. because you only get to see them play against the teams in North Carolina. Right. right. So I remember a few games. I remember Richard Morgan going haywire against Carolina. Bananas. Right? Bananas. Right. Yeah. And then I watched, I watched Ralph destroy Georgia Tech. Like those are my memories in my head. When Ralph Sampson, because it was on TV, so I got to see Ralph do, I mean, unbelievable against Georgia Tech, right? And then I got to see Richard do those kind of things. So you start to look at Virginia differently. Like, man, if you can go to college and just be half of that, you have a chance for your team to win, right? Like, you, you know, not that you can be Ralph or you could be Richard. Like, I never thought I could be better than anybody. I just always thought that you get a chance to get on the floor to be that successful and to be considered a go-to guy man that's gotta have that's gotta be a great feeling and and i was so tunnel vision in those things so we had tate frazier from tate and titus on the on a podcast earlier in the week and tate frazier has the and their show is like the number one college basketball podcast and he is deeply rooted into unc sports right and so i'm sorry north carolina thank you and so we were talking about dean smith and the, the, all the great players and coaches at, at North Carolina. What was your experience with Dean Smith like? Well, I mean, like I said, my first coach at West Charlotte was his disciple, like Charles McCullough. He was the winningest coach in the state's history at the time. He used to come up to all Dean Smith's camps and everything. So Dean would come to our practices when they were in town or they were passing through. And then, of course, Phil Ford was on staff. So um, Phil Ford and Coach McCullough had played against each other in high school. So 
they were more friends than it was, but it's the great feel for it. Like he had already went to the pros and he come back. So to see those guys walking around our practices, I saw him before I thought I was like, it's different now uh, when you start talking about recruiting. The honor of being recruited by a school of that magnitude puts you somewhere different now than it would have put you at that time. Like Doug and I have had this conversation a million times. Like Doug is from Fayetteville, Tennessee, right? So we talk about it all the time. Like, and I say this to him and he knows, how do you leave Tennessee? How do you leave Tennessee, right? Because at the time for us, like, what are you doing? Like we both left our home state as some of the best players in our state. How do you do it? Because I just couldn't imagine Dean Smith recruiting me. Like I'm not as good as the players I'm watching on TV. I didn't think I was. Right. But I probably I thought I was better than Warren Martin though. I did think I was better than Warren Martin. But the rest of them, right? <laughs> I didn't think I was as good as them. So, and when he actually called my house, and I was like, I thought it was a prank. Like this is Dean Smith. I, I couldn't believe it, right? So that's just kind of how it all was. And I was, it was, it was unbelievable to get a chance to meet him and shake his hand and, and be around him. And the hardest thing Coach Smith made me do was to call him and say that I'm not coming to Carolina. And, you know, he was so nice saying, all right, well, you're just going to lose to us for the next four years, you know, and uh, <laughs> I, hope, I hope you have a great career, you know, and all this other stuff, just not against us. And that's kind of how it was. So he did, made did, you feel good about it. Did, did, they re- did Carolina recruit you hard? Like, was it like a hard recruit or just like, yo, we're Carolina, here's your offer? They recruit themselves, yeah. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, kind of because I said something in, a, um, in an article that when Dean Smith formally comes and talks to me, then I'm going to Carolina. Like, I said it. So when he, right. he called, right? So it's like, okay. And from that point on, I was able to go up to their, to their gym, open gyms and stuff like that. But it was never – it was recruiting was so different and everything was kind of done over the phone. They came to the big events. But right. it's nothing like it is now where somebody's texting you, coming to your house, right. seeing your dad, having a relationship with your sister and all this other stuff. They weren't doing that. I mean, Carolina didn't do that for me. Like, right. I think the school that recruited me the hardest was South Carolina. To be honest with you, like they were all over all the time because most of my family is originally from that South Carolina, Great Falls, South Carolina area, which is not too far from Clemson. So, like, it was really about South Carolina more than anybody else who was just around all the time. So, so when you were at UVA going to play Dean Dome for the first time, what was that like? Well, I, if I if I'm not mistaken, Fresh, we go to Duke first, then Carolina. So the order was a little so you in yep. Georgia Tech. Yep. So you play NC State. They call it Tobacco Road for a reason. So you go NC State, Duke, yep. Carolina, Georgia Tech. So I, I just remember us being ranked very high before that before that run. And us winning at NC State, going down and losing to Duke, losing to uh Carolina, and yep. losing to Virginia, losing to Georgia Tech. All the games were good and close. Yep. But now you just went from being at the top to now you're out of the ranking. So it's just like, that's what happened. But they booed me every time I touched the ball, of course. Uh, but I was so locked in. Like, I already kind of knew what that was going to happen. Uh, yeah, but, like, when, but, when Carolina boos, it's kind of like, whatever. All right, you're booing yeah, me. You're, yeah. you're, playing, you're in the band. You're playing the trombone. Who cares? Like the, 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 I, just, I just remember the blue being so bright. Like, I joke about it all right. the time. Like, Duke is Duke, right? So they were so good. You know, they just won a national championship. And now they have yep. Christian Legner and all these other guys. And they were so yep. nice and cool. And we had played pickup with them a couple of times in the summer. So uh, it wasn't the 
the awe of Christian Lakeman by the time you got down there. But once you got into Cameron and you saw what it was, like you like, wow, this is this is I'm at the I'm at the highest level of basketball. Right. And then that following game is at Carolina. So you still already numb from where you just came from. Right. So it's never right. it's no letdown. And both of them were they were one and two in the country, if I'm not mistaken. I want to say Duke was number one and Carolina was number three when we played I think them. You're so right. You know, it was it was crazy for us. It was crazy for me personally, but I, I don't I don't remember the Duke game as well. The Carolina game, we were we were neck yes. and neck, dude, until the last ten minutes of the game. Like it was it, like it, let's go. It's always been that way down there. Like until yep. I, until I, you don't have enough horses or their horses mm-hmm. make a couple of plays. Like I don't want to blame it on any referee scenario. I don't think that ever happened to us. I know we didn't get all the calls, but. No, Man, they were just like they that. was they were just so good. And I just embraced it all. Like I never I don't know about nervous. So I don't want to use that. It was just like being in a movie and you're playing a role. You can look inside yourself and see it. Like, man, I'm at the best. Okay, let's go. Like I'm doing layup lines. I couldn't, I'm excited. Like I never right. was nervous. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Because I've just played against them before. And what what's cool, I'm not sure if I'm jumping too much around, but you know, your group. My Fab Five, you know, you, J, Y, B, C, um, Chris Alexander, y'all brought an energy to our team that was different because I came in with Kenny Turner, Matt Blunden, Dirk Castro, John Crotty, who are real leaders, but more serious. And y'all didn't give a fuck. Be like, <laughs> yo, you want to go play in Tokyo? Let's go ball. Yeah. You want to play in Australia? Let's ball. You want to go to Duke? Let's ball. Yeah. Yes. You guys had fun with the fans, the whole thing. Huh, Can I, yeah. If I if I if I jump ahead to my my senior year, when we won at Duke, you know, I I never won at Duke, so we're, I'm like I'm going to Duke and like we're probably gonna lose, and you guys are like what? You guys are like slapping five with the fans, <laughs> like doing the cheers with them. Can you talk about that game? Do you remember that game? Yeah, I do. I mean, we we were 500 at Duke. You know, we won my sophomore year there, and then we won no, my senior my year. year. So, senior, yep. 95, yeah. So, but it's all the same. Like, it's it's all the same. Like, fellas, like I, I can't – the embracing of the competition was always the cool part. And then the fans that booed right. you, and you you know they didn't mean it. Right. Like, when you look – like, it's funny right. when somebody's booing you and then they, they call your name and you actually give them the attention that they want. And mm-hmm. there's a smile behind the jerkness that they're giving you. Right. Like, come on, man. Like, you can't really hate so, me. You don't know me. <laughs> so, if, yeah, it's if, contrived. I would say if we, if we rewind a bit back to your decision um, to come to UVA with you and Corey talking about that, I remember the talk was actually a lot of people thought Corey was going to go Georgia Tech or Michigan, right? So, did you guys make a joint decision together in terms of like where you're going to go? Well, what happened for me, I mean, I knew Corey was going to go to, and I knew, not knew, but. His last two came down to Arizona and Georgia Tech. So his visits, if I'm not mistaken, so it's Michigan, Arizona, Georgia Tech, Virginia. And I cannot remember his fifth visit uh, because we, we had Oak Hill. So there is no staying back, by the way. This is what the visits right. are like before. So nobody's saying I'm going to commit on my first visit because you don't get to go on the rest of your visits, right? So that means you're going to be stuck while all the rest of your teammates are going off so I'm not going to stay in jail 
basically why you go out and have fun on your visit and come back and tell me. So the reason why we didn't all commit to our, on our, on our visits to these places, because coach Smith was like, listen, you want to get off campus. Right. This is what right. you need to do. So he goes to Arizona, comes home. He doesn't commit. Damon Stoudemire goes to Arizona and commits. So they're out. He goes down to Georgia tech and doesn't commit. Travis best goes down to Georgia tech and commits. So that's kind of how, so the, so the narrowing of his field starts to happen. So after we go on our five visits and I go in there and start talking to coach about what I'm thinking about doing, which is totally different than what I had in my mind. So I'm going to, once Syracuse is off the list and I've already had to tell Dean Smith that I'm not coming down there to sit on the bench and drink Gatorade for two years. <clears throat> I'm going to, I'm, th- I'm really thinking about Virginia and I told Corey in the room, I'm going to Virginia. He's like, man, I just got to make sure we take all our visits and I got to start figuring it out. So I just committed that weekend and told my dad, I'm going to Virginia. And I told Coach Jones and him, you know, and he was like, well, you need to start help recruit your point guard because nothing's like coming to Virginia and winning a bunch of games with a point guard that's going to help you win a bunch of games and doing it now. So that's kind of how it all started about talking to Corey because, as you know, he's a local kid. Yeah. So that, 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 always, hurts, that hurts, right. June. You had your point guard, B. <laughs> Well, I, didn't, I, didn't know know first. That. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know first. I get it. I get it. I get it. So, and I, I like, I, I always look back at that Fab Five documentary. You know, you know, when they're doing the commit list and they're circling the five guys, and you look, yes. you guys are right there next to all of them. Right. Every one yes. of you. So it's like, oh, yeah. The, oh. The, them coming into Charlottesville was a game change. I just remembered, like, you know, I was just. And, right and by the way, by the way, Fab Five, they, they have their uh, 30 for 30, baggy shorts, whatever. I'm like, yo, bullshit. Like, June, <laughs> yeah. Corey, Yuri Barnes, are you kidding me? Jason Williford? Chris, Chris, Chris Alexander is a little more buttoned up. We called him Honest Abe. But, man, these dudes were so far ahead of the whole game. Like, don't give, we don't give the Fab Five too much credit. I, it's funny because the Fab Five is, even though it's a – it's a documentary about college. The reason why they have it is because they all were very good pros. Right. Like we didn't, we didn't right. turn out to be the pros that they turned out to be obviously, but we were the number right. one recruiting class in the country yeah. until they signed Chris Webber. So even yep. they, you know, when C Webb signed with, when C Webb went with them, it kind of changed everything. Who, by the way, he was going to Michigan state up until the day he decided not to. So like, it's kind of the right. same thing with us. So, you know, and we were all in communication with each other, which is really weird. Like everybody and like, knew and all it. Our locker room music went from Babyface to Redman overnight. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Dirk Castro, Dirk Castro, and John Crotty were listening to, to Babyface. Well, they were, they were oh, all. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that was our shit. No, that really? was our shit. Babyface, yeah, all the mellow shit, and all of a sudden, boom. We all right, saying like, whoa, yeah, Junior. I've been wanting to ask this. I've been wanting to ask this question throughout the entire entire podcast. Due to the length of the podcast, we broke it up into two parts. Please stay tuned for part two, where Junior talks about the NCAA tournament, NBA, Mount Rushmore, and more. Yeah.